Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Corey Thompson with Roughneck to Real Estate, and he's here to share how he's building wealth through mobile home parks. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the OfferFast Homes app, the only app you'll need for wholesaling. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires, so please let's connect on Instagram if that's something you want to do. Uh, if you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up, and as a reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this, so here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now, tag a friend below, or tell them your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And before I forget, I am speaking in Dallas at We Live 19 later on this month. Uh, I'd love to meet you all there. And uh, please do put my name down when you register so that you get 30% off and some one-on-one -on -one coaching time. And this is a live show. Mm -hmm. So please post your questions for Corey to answer. You know he's an open book, so fire away. Uh, I've got uh, free tickets to to the We Live that we're giving away. That's right, you bought four yesterday, right? I bought, I bought four, so we're giving away two in the Wholesaling House Elite group, and we're giving away two in the Roughneck Real Estate group. That's awesome. So um, anybody that can't afford to go or you know done, money's a little tight, whatever, you've already spent your budget for events mm -hmm. for this quarter, um, go in there and, and, and enter into the contest. All you got to do is tell the real estate community what Max Maxwell's done for you yeah. on the post, and it's people are voting. So, you know, get your friends in there to vote for you, whatever you want to do, but it, it's going to be picked by the audience. So That's incredible. That's just amazing. Okay, so you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so what got you into real estate? Well, you know, um, I got laid off. I got laid off from the oil field. We were kind of talking about that before we came on camera. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, I had a good, decent job, uh, made about $30,000 a month, worked 14 days, got the other 14 days off. Um, just kind of had my whole life planned out where I, where I could do the math. 14 days in a row. I worked 14 days in a row, 24 seven. And then I get 14 days off. Wow. That's crazy. That's real intense. It's not that intense. They got a trailer house out there you live in, you know, it, there's a lot of, you get, you get good at watching TV. Um, you know, we had a report that we had to do every day. Um, you're in charge of every aspect of the job. So you, you know, I, I was a micromanager and then I was also kind of a boots on the ground guy. I wanted to go out there and be with the guys, wanted to, you know, even though I was supervisor, I want to lead from the front and, but I was real high strung, real high strung. Um, you know, my bosses, um, always would send me out to the location and then, we would start getting complaints. They would get complaints from the drilling contractor, from the directional team. This guy's in my business. I know how to do this. You know, <laughs> who's this kid you got out here? Because I would be managing people that were in their 40s and 50s, and I was in my mid-20s when I started in that position. So they were not happy about that. Um, it's a massive bruising to the ego. It Well, it can be, but, you know, for me, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about directional when I got out there. So mm -hmm. I had to learn it all from the guys that I was supervising, which is, is interesting because – if you have too much ego, they're not going to teach you. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you have to go out there and, and, and really lay it out. And, you know, and I can still sit here and tell you right now that, you know, it's, it's a compass. So you've got, you know, 360 degrees. We mm -hmm. would normally be going in between 270 and 360. That would be the direction that we were drilling and every degree out of azimuth. So if our target was 270 and you're at 271 for every hundred foot you drill, it would move 1.75 feet from the line. We're talking oil field terms here. I hope my roughneck buddies are watching. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, they would give us a window. They would say, well, you can go 50 foot to the right and 50 foot to the left, 20 foot high and 20 foot low. And directional hands would want to paint the line. They would want it to be perfect. And I'm like, guys, we're not going to take this well to the oil show. 
we're going to drive it like a drunk driver. We're going to go all the way to the left side, the right side of the window, and then we're going to come all the way back to the left. And because when you slid, you would lose time. So we mm-hmm. ended up taking wells from 30 days down to seven. Wow. And it was like, you know, they, they had parameters on what the limits were on their equipment. So, and we, I'd be like, well, so what's your limit? And they'd be like 600 PSI. Like, all right, 600 PSI it is. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, it's got to have a safety factor. Engineers don't send it out without a safety factor. We're going we're gonna to stand on it until it breaks. And if it breaks, we'll pull it out and put something else in. But if you're telling me that's the limit, because everybody would, would want to kind of milk it. But me, I was, I was completely um, goal-orientated. I wanted to you're be there the to best. do a job. Uh, yeah. And the only way I could stand out was if, if, if we made a lot of hole really fast and didn't hurt anybody. Hurting, you could, you could drill a hole as fast as you want, but if you hurt somebody, it wouldn't matter for anything. So right. we did that job, um, got laid off from it. So you were really good at it. Obviously you moved up the ranks pretty fast. Uh, I was good enough. Um, so you know, what led to the layoff? Uh, you know, the layoff was oil went from a hundred dollars a barrel to 50, which everybody in the whole world loved. Mm-hmm. But us, we were sitting out there and, you know, Chesapeake, if you go look at Chesapeake stock right now, I just remember I was working for Chesapeake at the time and the, and the big deal was the stock price. If it stayed above $20, you know, we would, everything would be fine. Well, last time I looked at it, it was like three bucks. So they're hurting bad. We're, you know, yeah. hurting bad, bad. But we had 21 rigs running. Um, I was still working when we had seven running and they were talking about doing all this stuff with schedules and stuff like that. And I was like, guys, I don't, you know it's 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 at that point there's so much so much politics and every mm-hmm. you got to look over your back to do anything and I, I just didn't want to work in that environment so as my boss you know was talking about how he was going to try to pick and choose i just threw my name in it i said send me home I'll, I'll go to work overseas that was my plan like i was yeah. like i'll go to work overseas i'll find a job over there i'm young um it pays better they, they're not they're insulated from global oil prices because it's the government running their operation so i'll just go to work over there is this before or after your baby? Uh, after. Okay. Yeah. And that was a big deciding factor. So we, you know, I get laid off and felt pretty good for the first couple of weeks playing video games. My new daughter, <laughs> you know what I mean? She wasn't very big. She was yeah. uh, a little over a year old. And um, so we just kind of chill, you know, and we're catching up on lost time. And then it got to where it's like, well, wait a second. Every month I'm making a $2,000 a month mortgage payment, but I'm not bringing in anything. Uh-huh. Um, I got to figure something out. And so I was every morning I would sit down on my couch with my laptop, same laptop I got today that I hadn't upgraded, but I would, I would send out resumes and I wouldn't get any response yeah. and nothing, just crickets. And uh, my buddy who's now my business partner, Jake, he reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I'm going to this networking event to learn about real estate investing. See, Jacob's dad got killed in a car wreck and there was a life insurance policy. And you know, he had, bought a bunch of stock. I mean, he, he'd done everything perfect. You know what I mean? To where mm-hmm. when he got killed, his, his mom wouldn't have to worry about anything. They have 140 acres house and it was just kind of all there. You know what I mean? Um, but you start looking at it and you're doing the math and it's like, you know, his, his grandmother who's still alive now is in her nineties. Start doing the math. How do I get somebody from 50 to 90 on this much money? And that's, that's what we got to do. You know, right. that was, that was the goal. And so he, he was trying to do it with the stock market. Well, you know how the stock market is. I mean, you're getting a dividend. I don't even know how, I don't know how the stock market works, but right. there's a dividend involved. Trying to do it with dividends. You're trying to do it with whatever means and, yeah. and you know, stuff happens and you lose money. And It works great if you have a lot of money. That's right. And so it, it just got to where it was like, how, 
how do we take this money mm-hmm. and get his mom through the rest of her life? You know right. what I mean? And uh, that was a problem that he was working on. And he'd been working on it for a year and looking into real estate, listening to bigger pockets, listening, doing all the research. Um, and then he asked me to go to this networking event and went down to a networking event. Our number one hard money lender told us about hard money loans there. Yeah. And I'm looking at him I'm going, this dude is crazy. Still the same guy? Still the same guy. I mean, he just he, he's just put, uh, raised $800,000 for our latest purchase. Thanks, Jeff. You know, so... <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it just, it was one of those things where I'm listening to hard money lending and this guy's talking about it. And I'm like, there's nobody going to give me 70% of what a house is worth. If I go find it at a discount, I can find them at a discount all day. I mean, what, what does it take? You just drive down the street. There's an old, ugly house. I want to buy it. Yeah. What will you give me for it? This much cash. Nobody's going to loan that money, but you know, we, we got into it. I Mm -hmm. mean, we left that networking event, walked out on the front steps there and said, Hey, how much money you got? I'll put a hundred on it. How much you got? I'll put a hundred on it. So we started with our hundred thousand, hundred thousand. Yeah. And so we started out with a couple hundred thousand dollars okay. and, and, uh, the very next week went to a real estate auction, went to a Texas Tuesday auction, met another investor. He was like, Hey, I'm looking at this house on auction.com. I'm looking at this other one on the USDA website. It's a gold nugget. If you don't know about that one, the USDA finances house. Mm-hmm you want to ride with me? And I was like, hell yeah. Cause I, I struck up a conversation with him like this conversation. Right. Hey, why are you here? What are you mm-hmm. looking at? And uh, anyways, I didn't know. It. But when we went and looked at the houses, there was the one that was on the USDA website was $12,000. It was on MLS. Been there for like four years on MLS. And I walk into it, it's a slab house, little 1100 square foot, three bedroom, one bath, slab house, good siding on the outside, central heat and AC. And the only real problem I could see with it was there was some dead cats in it. And so I was like, small issue. Yeah. I was, <laughs> if I get these dead cats out of here, this house is going to work out all right. And so, but trying to tell somebody that in Houston, it's like, you know, my partner, he's working a full-time job in Houston. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna buy this house. And he's like, I don't know. We need to check. I'm like, I don't care about nothing about that. My buddy, Brandon, who's also all of our friends sold mm-hmm. his house for 70. I can see it from here. We'll be able to get 70 for this one. You know, that, that was the logic that I used to buy this house. Right. So we bought it, we put 10 in it. So now we're in it for 23, you know, all of our own money and, um, you know, put it, I don't remember how I wasn't talking a bunch on Facebook about it, but I was looking for houses on Facebook in the Mm -hmm. marketplace and stuff. And so I think I'd put pictures up and said, Hey, we're getting ready to sell this house or something along those lines in Facebook marketplace. And this couple and you know, we're all judging all the time, but they're working at Whataburger and H-E-B. Like, What's that? H-E-B is a food store. So it's okay. like a it's like a grocery store. I almost said Brookshire's. Y'all really don't. If you don't know what H-E-B is, you don't know what Brookshire's is. So anyways, we, we're, we're there, and uh, they come pulling up and get out and look at it, and they look it over, and they're like, hey, do y'all think y'all could do something about the yard? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, It's, it's all dirt. And I'm like, yeah, we'll sod it. And, wow, what's your offer? And they said, well, we'll owner finance it. We got 25000 down. Mm-hmm. We had twenty three in it. Right. So I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I know that if I get 25000 I got my money back, mm-hmm. and I need that because right. I need that. And then it was like, we they were like, what do you want your payment to be? And they said three fifty, And so we that's how we set the interest rate on the loan was to give them the payment that they wanted. So it ended up at 8.5% interest. And they had a 350 a month payment, taxes, insurance, everything. 
and we were all of a sudden real estate investors and had that passive income. Right. Um, but it was, I mean, it was lightning fast. I mean, there was no, no hesitation. Like most people from my partner had done a year's worth of research. So he had a loose idea about the terminology, but no idea about the execution, mm-hmm. none whatsoever. Um, and our very first week we bought both the houses that that investor that I met at the auction, we bought both of those cash. I got on Craigslist and found another one and uh, it was on the tax roll for like 97, I think. And we bought it for 47, but that was our entire valuation. Yeah. The tax roll says it's worth 97. You want 47, I'll pay you that for it. And we flipped that house and made $17,000, but we learned real quick house flipping wasn't, wasn't, I mean, we didn't learn that quick. We learned that too slow, but right. house flipping wasn't for us. You learned it eventually. So I think the, the point though, is you, you kind of, you know, gloss over a little bit is there's a lot of people that are always collecting information, learning, That's constant it. learning, right? Professional students. And, you know, there's kind of like this thing about YouTube university, right? which I don't think there's anything wrong with YouTube university, as long as you're taking action. But man, if you're expecting to learn everything, from just no. YouTube, it's just not going to happen. Well, somebody said on a status the other day, they said, oh, I don't know this, this, and this about it, you know, about real estate. And once I figure that out, I'm, I'll be good to go. I'm going to start. And I was like, I don't know any of that shit either. So, <laughs> what do, I mean, what do you, what do, I mean, I don't, I don't, like, you, you could know that about a single family resident. Or, yeah. You know, you'll never know everything about it. I mean, best real estate attorney I know got stumped on a deal that we had the other day. It was like, he's trying to clear title for us and none of them could figure it out. So, right. I mean, you, there's always something else to learn. If you're done learning, you're done living. I mean, you may as well give it up. I, absolutely. So um, what were some of your first struggles or early struggles? So you got those three flips going on. Then what happened uh, after that? Well, so during this time, I found out who Grant Cardone was. I listened to 10X Rule while we were doing that flip. Um, you know, I, Man, this I, is really recent. Yeah, well, it was four years ago. Yeah. I mean, four years ago, almost to the month. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. It's March. So it's four years ago to the month. Right. And um, anyways, we 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 were in this to where it was like, okay, what, like, what are we, what's our actual goal, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't even know what a goal was. Listening to Grant Cardone talk about goal setting. And at the same time, you're playing back the history. You know, I, I rose through the ranks in the oil field. Great. But the reason why I tapped out and it got uninterested is because my goal was too low. I, I met my goal. It, my entire goal for the oil field, I met it at 26 years old. I was there. All right. And it got boring. And it and it got, I mean, I was making $30,000 a month and it got to where it wasn't even worth it to show up. You know what I mean? Like to fight the same battles over and over again was disinteresting to me, but I didn't want the next position. I wasn't striving for the next position because mm-hmm. I didn't want the politics that went with it. I didn't want the headaches that went with it. I didn't want to get fired from my job while I was sitting at home because some guy on a rig somewhere made, you know, made a decision instead of calling me or, uh, you know, called me and gave me bad information and I made a decision. So it just wasn't appealing to me. Yeah. So they, you know, when you're sitting there doing that and you're like trying to figure out what, you know, what, what held me back before and where do I want to go? For me, real estate was a stopgap at that point. This is what I'm going to do until somebody picks up the phone and, and hires me on a drilling rig. But until then, it was a side hustle. Right. Until then, I've got to make, I'm going to make $30,000 a month with it because it's easy, right? Making 30000 a month in real estate, not knowing how to market, 
not knowing what a deal was or what. And I didn't even know what a CMA was at this point in time. Didn't know how to pull comps. Didn't know comps were a part of the process at all. Like nothing. We owned three houses and didn't even know what comps were. Right. Like never, never even crossed my mind to get a comp at all. Tax roll says it's worth this. My house seems to be worth more than it says it's on tax roll, entire valuation on a property. Um, home inspector goes out to that house that we're flipping. like, hey, by the way, the entire attic is burnt out of it. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Called the contractor that gave us a $23,000 bid for repairs. I'm like, bro, the whole attic's burnt out. I was like, yeah, I know. It's part of the bid. I was like, thank God. Click. <laughs> Manage that flip from two hours away. If that contractor would have been a thief, which we roast pretty regular in real estate, we'd have been out of business pretty early, but he wasn't yeah. a thief. He, he showed up and worked, mm-hmm. did exactly what he said he was going to do. Um, learned a lot about the process and that. But for me, the hangups on all of that was I had no idea what my goal actually was or how to meet that goal because I wasn't backing into it. I didn't know how to set a goal, right? So I want to make $30,000 a month. That's great. Write it down. 30 right. grand a month. What, what, what? Where, where does that money come from? Am I going to make 5000 wholesaling? Am I going to make 30000 flipping? You know, so I've got a $30,000 a month goal, and I start backing it down. All right, D- had no data, no data to go off of. I just knew if I stayed on Facebook and stayed on Craigslist and called a lot of people that, you know, people would eventually want to sell their house. Um, Donnie Ruffin, you have mm-hmm. Donnie in here. Oh, yeah. So Donnie, um, our fourth house, uh Donnie's best friend Prince. Did Prince come with him or no? Did you meet Prince? No, not yet. All right. So Prince and and Prince never talks about this, which is just funny because it's it's a funny story. So we bought our fourth house, our fourth house from Prince. Is it? It was his first wholesale deal. So this this was where looking back, where you go back and reflect, you're mm-hmm. like, what what was the hardest part? The hardest part was we didn't know anything, but we were in constant action. We meet Prince trying to sell a house on. Craigslist. I was on that first owner finance flip when I was making the calls in the backyard. I can tell you exactly where I was. They were, they were charging AC and I'm in the backyard on the phone with Prince. And he, I get home at 10 o'clock that night and he says, Hey, I got a, I got a property in Midlothian, which is about an hour and a half, two hours North of me. Do you want it? And I was like, how much? He's like 40,000. And I'm like, all right, I'll go look at it. And I got in my truck right then. I put my daughter who's you know, barely a little over one then. Mm-hmm. At the time, me and her mother were together. So I'm like, come on, you're leaving too. We're, and we're right up there. And Prince is like, no, I got, I'm going on a date with my girl. And I'm like, no, 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 bro, you're going to show me this house. Come on, buy this thing. <laughs> and so Prince finally agrees. I'm already halfway there. And he, so he comes down. We meet at the house. I'm looking at the inside of this house with cell phone lights. He's got this jankety contract, you know. And at this point, I at least understood a little bit about contracts and assignments and that the money went to the wholesaler or went to the title company, not the wholesaler, because we'd been going to that same networking event that Mm -hmm. we originally went to. So I was gaining a little bit of knowledge on that side. So he had this deal and I'm writing a check, you know, to Texas title and this and that, and we're going to leave and the police pull up. So now the police are there because it's midnight, you know, and we're just, we're (laughs) out looking through this house and deal. I had warrants. So I mean, I 100% had warrants. So Prince, I, his, his, the funnier part about this was I look out and I don't know Prince at this point in time. We don't, I mean, we just met, mm-hmm. but he's hanging halfway out the car and I'm like, what's this guy doing? He's going to get shot. Like just stay in the car, like quit moving around, but he's hanging out the car and the police come up and they're not, they're not very nice. They're being, they're being very rude. And it's then, so, nice. 
yeah, they give them all my information. They come back. You got warrants. I'm like, oh, I got warrants. I'm going to go to jail. That, that's no big deal. I've been in jail before. Uh-huh. Like, we're not going to take you to jail tonight because you got your family, but yada, yada, yada. And we're like, yeah. And like, are y'all sure y'all? Ha-? I'm like, look, I don't know. That guy says he's got a contract for the purchase of the house. We're here to look at it, this and that. Long story short, the numbers on that deal, Prince contracted it for 20. He was going to assign it to us for 40, right? But mm-hmm. but I was, I was like, dude, that's big. That's you're making just as much as the seller. You should probably double close it. So we pulled off a double close, and I end up with a house for forty. The our lender Jeff, thanks Jeff, he he asked for a CMA. So we get him a CMA. We didn't we didn't know what it was. We called a real estate agent. Said, hey, get us a CMA. She gets us a CMA. The CMA, looking back, is for one hundred and twenty-one thousand dollars. Wow. For this house that we we're buying for forty. Okay. But we didn't know that. We didn't know how to read a CMA, so we didn't know it was a $121,000 house. We thought, you know, because we didn't know how to read it, we thought it was like a $70,000, $80,000 house. Mm-hmm. So we end up getting bids and realize we can't do anything. So the real estate agent's like, look, just list it for eighty-five. So we list it for eighty-five, get a cash offer first day. We make $27,000. But the funny part about that is that we missed. Like, we all missed on that deal. Prince missed. Like Prince, you know, Prince had it contracted for 20. Mm-hmm. All he had to do was borrow 20 and list it, and he would have made a lot more money. Mm-hmm. We missed because we didn't realize it was $121,000 CMA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the whole deal was just botched from beginning to end. <laughs> we made $27,000, and Prince made made 20 off of a mailer he sent out. You know what I mean? And right. that was, he was like handwriting these letters while he was selling cars. And that's why Donnie got into real estate. Oh, really? Yeah. So Donnie seen that check and Donnie said, oh, yeah, that's what he mentioned in the last show. Yeah. Yeah, He showed him a check. He's like, dude, I got to do this. So so that's how Donnie got in. And then since, you know, that was our contact, me and Donnie started talking. And Mm -hmm. in that early time, you know, Donnie, what are you doing? I'm doing this. What are you doing? I'm doing this. All right, cool. I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to do this, too. I'll see you out there. You know, but wasn't necessarily competition. I mean, at the time, Donnie was 20. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even on a drink. So. He was young, but I was uh, I felt old, you know. But I, mm-hmm. you know, we talk shit all the time. I'm I'm out here slamming signs. Where are you at? And but the great thing about Donnie was he, I mean, he had that sales skill, so he would turn everybody into a bird dog. Like if he ran across, if if somebody called him off a bandit sign, they're like, hey, I'm a, you know, I sell popcorn. You know, you need any popcorn? He'd be like, no, nah, bro, I don't need no popcorn. But I tell you what, if you if you find me all the vacant houses in your neighborhood. I buy all the popcorn you sell. Like, you know, I mean, whatever they called with, he would just flip it on them. And that's, that was your post the other day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, turn everybody into a bird dog. Turn everybody into a bird dog. And, and so it was something that Donnie was good at. And so, like, the next five deals that Donnie sold were all from a junk hauler. You know, people that clean out houses were junk. Mm-hmm. They, somebody die, they'd be like, hey, come haul off my mom's stuff. Anybody, what are y'all going to do with the house? Like, oh, I don't know. I got a guy that buys them and he'd kick it to Donnie. And yeah. Donnie stacked. I mean, Donnie made two hundred thousand dollars on one of those deals. I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I don't. It was in Plano. That's all I remember about it. But I was like, when he he sent, I was like, no. I was like, Donnie, I want that house. He's like, wait a second, why you want it so bad? I'm like, no, just just <laughs> quit. Like you, you, you <laughs> just said, you just said it was a hundred and thirty thousand dollars house, like a three four hundred thousand dollars house. You know? Yeah. He's like, no, nah, I think I'm gonna buy this for myself. So I think he bought it for like seventy or eighty. Yeah. And then turned around and listed it, and boom, it sold in like five minutes. So. So. Let everyone know what part of Texas are you in? I'm in. I'm by Waco. I mean, okay. I'm from Grosbeck, Texas. Okay, town with four thousand people. Um, you know, I grew up in rough conditions. Not, not. I'm not bad. Like, 
like I'm not I'm not upset about it. Like I'm mm-hmm. not I don't I don't hold any animosity about it. But my granddad died when I was ten years old, and he left my dad twenty five thousand dollars. And my dad took the twenty five thousand that my granddad left him, went and bought a house. It was a double wide on an acre of land. That house, I mean, the floor ended up rotting out, fell through. Like I mean, we're talking no air conditioner, no no heat, no floor, um, rough conditions. But it's helped shape everything about our investment strategy because. You know, I never felt bad about living in that house. And it never was. I never felt inadequate. Mm-hmm. You know, matter of fact, I felt the opposite because, you know, when we'd go to my friend's house, like we couldn't do anything. But when my dad was working, we'd have parties at my house and we wouldn't <laughs> have to clean up. You know what I mean? So it was <laughs> like I, I, I look back at it and all my friends know. I mean, we, we turned my car up on its side. Mm-hmm. Like we're just outside. Everybody, I didn't drink. I never drink till I turned like 23. But we were, everybody was like, hey, you think we can pick your car up? I'm like, I don't know. Let's try. We picked it up and turned it up on its side. And it just sat out in the front yard on its side for like 10 minutes. Right. We all took pictures and then dropped it back down. I mean, that was one of the nights when we were hanging out at my house. I never felt bad about growing up there. So whenever we get into these, you know, I don't know, hood houses, whatever people call them, like the the, the lesser nice areas. Where Less you, desirable, sure. Yeah, you know, where you can buy a house for 10 grand. Um I look at it through a completely different lens. I'm like, oh man, you know, somebody's really going to feel blessed to live here because, you know, the other options, homelessness. Um, the other option is paying a landlord 800 a month. If I can buy this for 10,000, sell it for 40, owner mm-hmm. finance, it's up to them to do what they want with it. They can make it as nice as they want or they can live in it as is. But I know what it's a blessing to have that 400, 450, $600 a month monthly payment in a, in a market where now, I mean, bottom rent in a lot of markets. I mean, what's the bottom rent out here in Phoenix? Can you live somewhere for 800? Uh, can you? Yes. Okay. So you can live in, you can live in a one bedroom apartment for 800 for 800. That's right. And and you can't build that rent. I mean, you can't right now with the cost of materials, labor, can't build that. No, you can't. So, you know, what's, what, what, what's the alternative? Um, the alternative is living humbly, living within your means, um, and, and living, buying yourself an owner finance house. I mean, I look at people that undervalue these houses that you can buy for 10, 15, 20, $30,000. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why is that house not worth it? You cannot build that. You can't, no right. matter what condition it is, you can't get it to that condition for those dollars. Cause you can't even acquire the land for that with utilities. Like, but right. most people will look at that and say, oh, it's not worth anything. Yeah. The market will tell you otherwise. Like you buy something like that that's junk, just absolute junk, and put it on MLS. I mean, you'll triple your money. So, how has this, you know, growing up with that condition shaped you in your business? Well, it just it, you know, one. These are my people. Mm-hmm. I say that all the time. We we go into a impoverished or broke neighborhood, trailer park. These are my people. I mean, when I was three years old. I was living in a trailer park. The exact house that I lived in is still there. I asked my dad. Well, I can call him right now and ask him, right live on the show. How much did we pay for rent when we lived there? It was two hundred dollars a month. You know, now it's seven hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Exact same mobile home that I lived in. I was three, so nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, is still being rented today. You know, but but trailer houses are same exact one. Same exact thirty one, years later. Thirty years later, but trailer houses are a depreciating asset. All right, you can't afford to maintain them. Like all the gurus will tell you this. You Mm -hmm. just want to own the dirt. You don't want to own the home. There's a lot of equity in owning the home. You can force appreciation on the home. In other words, if 
I buy a trailer park and it's got nine missing trailers, you see people driving around dragging their trailer houses with them, pulling up, er, hey, you got a place for me? No, I ain't got no, you know, you go to the next trailer park. It just ain't happening. Mm-hmm. The trailer parks that, that do that model are also dealerships. So they're selling trailers into right. their park. Mm-hmm. They're owner financing trailers that are sitting in their park. They're right. dealers. It's a completely different business model. Unless you want to become a mobile home dealer, owning the dirt, you can't force appreciation. And and in Texas, I don't know about out here, but in Texas, you're just getting into a whole, once you become licensed, it's like anything else. You just gave the government permission to regulate you. Mm-hmm. Like I can go buy a trailer house and do whatever I want with it because I'm a private individual. I can't sell more than one a year in Texas, but I can buy one and live in it. I can buy one and rent it. I can set it up. I can tie it down. I can do whatever I want with it and not be regulated. But the moment I become a licensed dealer, now when I set it up, they got to come out and inspect. They got to do this. They got to do that. You still have to go through all that as a private individual. But if you don't do it right, there's no criminal penalties. Mm. Or if you don't do it right as a dealer, now you've just, you're criminally neglect because you know about it. We went to all the classes to become dealers and then didn't take the test. I mean, I took the test, just didn't get the fingerprints and go through with it because I was like, I don't want this. Right. Like, I don't, you know, it isn't worth it. If I, if I buy a trailer house and attach it as real property, I can sell it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't count as selling a mobile home. If I sell it as just a personal property, now I have to become a dealer. So I'll just attach everything as real property and sell it that way. Yeah. You know, that was my evaluation of mm-hmm. it. But yeah, growing up like that, you know, I, it helped me it helped shape an investment strategy that isn't, you know, a lot of people feel bad. They'll talk bad about a slumlord or something like that. But I see the other side of the coin. I see a people that need this product, need it because that's what they can afford. And slumlords might not, you know, they might not fix the hot water heater on time. They might, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they're, but they're renting them something for $500 a month. Right. It's hard to, hard to fix a lot of hot water heaters like that. But a lot of times people in that class, when their hot water heater goes out, they'll just fix it themselves. They know the deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's only, only if there's severe damage or something that happens that the landlord would have to step in. So if you could provide that for people, I think it's an opportunity. Now, well, that's not our entire business model. I mean, we... So let's walk through that, right? So you, you started getting into mobile homes. Mm-hmm. How long did you do that? So we got, we operate in swapping shops, the buy, sell, trade groups on Facebook. Elaborate for people not in Texas. Okay. So, so they have like online garage sales. Facebook Marketplace okay. was actually based off of the online garage sale groups. Facebook seen it happening because you'll you know i mean my county's group there ain't twenty three thousand people there's twenty three thousand people in my county there's sixty thousand people in the buy sell trade group for my county because all the people in the surrounding counties get in there too i mean you can buy anything in there you can buy Mm -hmm. a chicken can't buy a gun they they did away with gun sales but you know you buy anything in there it's weird but you know it's whatever so i was buying houses and i was selling houses and i was renting houses um i'd get trailer house leads 24 7. yeah but i didn't have a place to put them because the towns wouldn't let you put them in on a lot. You know, you start looking at putting them out in some pasture somewhere and putting in septic and all this, and the cost just gets out of hand. And so we, we didn't know what to do with them. A couple calls us to sell us a lot in a town, neighboring town. It's five grand for the lot, but it had, spe- you could put two trailer houses on it. Mm-hmm. Already had the places, had a trailer house in one spot and the other place was vacant, but I, put, I was like, man, that's great. That's a great purchase. We'll put two mobile homes on it, the ones that we get out of the buy-sell trade groups. 
We'll rent each mobile home for $700 a month. We'll have $20,000 in the whole thing. Cause you're just thinking, you, you don't know all the numbers. You don't realize everything it takes to move a mobile home. You know, when I move a mobile home in the city and get it hooked to utilities, like moving everything, it's 11 grand, $11,000 to get it hooked up, plumbed, skirted, electricity, um, AC, tied down, everything, 11 grand. That's, you know, that's be- worst case scenario. Best case scenario is about five grand, but mm-hmm. that's ideal. That's ideal. <laughs> yeah. it, anymore, it's like, oh my God, it's just terrible. But those are, that's the spread, but I didn't know that at the time. I'm just thinking I can buy a trailer house for five grand, you know, just. Mm-hmm. Ballpark. Yeah, like I'll be in the sink for 20 grand. I'll have $1,400 a month rent coming in. That's a good investment. Well, like a lot of things that we do, we're small. So we don't have employees. So we buy a bunch of little stuff like that. And then we look up and we're like looking at our inventory sheet. And it's like, wait a second. What are we going to do with all this stuff that we bought that we haven't paid any attention to? We need money now. Mm-hmm. So what can we liquidate off of this list? Well, that, that property we, that we never put mobile homes on was on the liquidation list. So we started trying to sell it for 15000 Call a friend of mine. And he's like, yeah, my dad's got a trailer park. Really? Yeah you should talk to him about it. So I talked to him about it. We ended up owner financing our first trailer park. Had to pull in two partners, which are our partners today on all so of you're our trying to liquidate stuff. and you end up buying something else. And I end up buying something else. <laughs> and, and we, but it was one of those things where you don't, you always, your limited beliefs hold you back. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes to me and says, I got a mobile home park for 350,000. Well, I ain't got 350,000. You know, most people stop there. Mm-hmm. Boom. Oh, oh, nah, that's out of my price range. Go back. I don't never stop there. I call everybody I know, and then I ask them who they know that I can call. Because, it, you know, if I believe in the project enough. Now, at this point, I didn't understand cap rate. We're back mm-hmm. We're back, We're back. back to when I didn't understand CMAs or comps or anything when I was flipping houses. Mm-hmm. Now I'm buying multifamily, not understanding cap rate even exists, you know. <laughs> but to me, I'm just looking at it going, all right, he wants he wants 500000 for it. I got him down to three fifty. Now I've talked him into holding two hundred fifty as a note, so I only have to come up with $100,000 down but I got 10 or nine or 10 vacant spaces that I can put mobile homes in. Mm-hmm. And I'm already collecting $4,500 a month rent and it's not, it's distressed. So if I can get it all the way rented, I'll have twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a month. And in my mind, you know, you're just like, oh, 10 trailer houses, 10,000 a piece, $100,000. I mean, the whole project for 450. Well, we ended up in the whole project for about 500, which wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. And the bank loaned us 530,000 against it. I was like, oh, I'm a wizard, you know? Why did that happen? What was it that created that opportunity? What, you know, so I had the appraisal. Now I'm looking at it. I'm figuring out cap rate. I'm figuring out debt service coverage ratio. I'm figuring out how the appraiser looks at it. Not only how the appraiser looks at it, but why he looks at it that way. You know, I'm reading his notes. I'm reading about the demographics that I'm like, who put this together for Limestone <laughs> County? This is crazy. Yeah. I'm seeing the uh, the appraisal, the, the comps that he pulls, it's subjective. It's commercial appraisal, but it's sub- subjective. Mm-hmm. He's pulling comps from 200 miles away. Well, how is that a comp? You know what I mean? <laughs> and then he's hedging that comp. So he's, he's got a $30,000 a space comp over here, but he goes ahead and hedges it by putting a little $11,000 a space uh, park on there too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once, once you get access to those appraisals, which you – you know, you can, I could order another one. It's just three grand a pop and you order another one, order another one, order another one. But once you get access to that, th- that information, now you're digesting it and you're looking at it and you're going, 
know, this is what it is. That's why we started doing a live mastermind. You know, we got one coming up in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. We pull out our appraisals. Like we teach you from the appraisal. This isn't theory. This I'm going to tell you, like when you're there with the appraiser, you can be doom and gloom. Well, these were kind of shitty mobile homes and now I've made them a little better. Mm-hmm. Or you can be like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. I know for a fact Disneyland is looking at land in Fairfield. This place is going to blow up big time. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, and you just talk it up. Like I'm going to, I'm going to put in, I, I got, if we can get enough money together, I'm going to put in a pool. I'm going to have some uh, deal. I'm going to have a swim up bar. Like, <laughs> like, you know, but not necessarily on that level. But right. when, when they, they were out there for that appraisal, that's what I was doing. Cause mm-hmm. I was excited about the project. I'm like, cause we had 23 acres. So I'm telling them this front four acres, I'm going to put storage units on it. No doubt about it. The traffic count out there is 20,000 people a day. We'll put some storage units there. We're going to have our office in the front. We're going to, you know, all our people that are in the office are going to rent the storage units. It's not even going to be a cost. We're not going to have any cost on running those storage units mm-hmm. other than the taxes and insurance. Then in the back, the back 11 acres, I'm going to clear it out. I got my own dozer. I got my own track hoe. It ain't going to cost me nothing. I'm going to go out there and clear it out, and I'm going to put in RV spaces. My uncle's a licensed septic guy. I can do it. We can do it in a weekend, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was my that was my beliefs. Like th- that's really what I wanted. I still want to do that right now, Steve. If you gave me some money, that's where we're going to go to work at right, right there. Right. So I mean, it's it, it was really what I believed. It was how I felt, and mm-hmm. it was the same passion that pours out on the internet every day. Yeah, in front of the appraiser, but it shifted that entire appraisal because it. I mean, we didn't have the income that he gave us on there. He did it off. Of, they gave us a, a, a. We hadn't stabilized it yet. Mm-hmm. We just went to the bank to see what would happen. Right. So. We, we got money loaned to us off of a pro forma because we did we had everything leased, but we hadn't collected but one month's rent on the whole place. Uh, for people that don't know, can you want to explain to them what a pro forma is? A pro forma is basically looking into the future. It's a crystal ball. So if I if I buy something in, every, in the current stats, I got 10 units that are renting for $500 a piece, but market rents are $900 a piece. So instead of $5,000 a month, the pro forma would reflect $9,000 a mm-hmm. month. The cool thing about commercial real estate is it's based off the income 99% of the time. Right. They do a, the, a cost approach, which is what it would cost to build it. They do a sales comparable approach. It's all on the appraisal. They put all three on there. They mm-hmm. do a sales, sales comparable, which is where they pull comps from 200 miles away to hedge against you know, what it is, but sales comparable. And then they do um, an income approach. Mm-hmm. And the sales comparable is, you know, hey, what's it? What's it? Selling what cap rate is it selling at? You know, is it right. selling at eleven cap, a ten cap, a fifteen cap? What cap rate? And then the income. I think we're also going to explain what the cap rate means to everybody else too. Cap rate is your ROI. So if I if I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I'm mm-hmm. expecting a ten percent return after I pay all my bills, not including debt servicing, it's going to pay me ten thousand dollars a year. Yep. That's a ten cap. Right. Twenty cap would be it's going to pay me twenty thousand dollars a year. A five cap would be it's going to pay me five thousand dollars a yeah. year. Y'all rewind that, but you know. Again, knew none of this when I bought my first mobile home park. So it's crazy to me that you bought a mobile home park. You didn't know any of this. It's nuts. None of it. None of it. Knew it when I got that first appraisal. Knew enough about it mm-hmm. through listening to stuff like this, where I was like, "Oh yeah," but didn't understand the exp- like where where the expenses were going to get put on the appraisal. So on an appraisal, everyone that I look at the one the number that moves, the variable that moves is vacancy loss. Mm -hmm. So vacancy loss is basically how much rent am I going to lose this year to vacancies slash evictions, all of that. So vacancy and rent loss. 
that number moves on the appraisal. Sometimes people put it at 5%, 11%, 20%. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just a number they pull out of thin air. Oh, yeah. To, Probably whatever they, they feel comfortable well, they, with. Well, they want to get the expenses to 40%. Mm-hmm. On every property, if you're if you're running a perfect tight ship and your expenses are twenty percent, when you get the appraisal, they're going to be forty percent magically. And the reason why is because they're hedging; they are hedging mm-hmm. in case the bank has to take this product back. All right. If they take this asset back, the bank it's isn't going to isn't going to run it as we are going to run it as our own child. You know what All I right. mean? Yep. They're not going to be hands on. I understand the process. You know what I mean? But that just helps me with my offer when I'm going to buy it. Because since I know the process, I can very clearly pull data and show you, mm-hmm. hey, look, this is a 20 cap property. You know, I've got the data right here to show you out of the appraisal. It, it just helps me with my offer. It doesn't It doesn't hold me back from doing the deal. Um, and that's, you know, that's something I could talk about all day is how to move the cap rate. So how did you go from, that was your first mobile home park, mm-hmm. which you weren't trying to buy, and then you bought it. Mm-hmm. And now you've got how many? 10. 10. So how'd you go to the first one to where you had 10? So we borrowed more money than we had in it. And then we were like, can we do that again? And so once you get a track record, you stack a few successes, mm-hmm. um, it becomes easier to find money. Um, deals also come to you because people reach out to you and say, hey, I got this. Right. Is What is it? Um, but for us, you know, I can, I can name them down. I mean, a broker called us about a deal in Willis, Texas. Um, we had already bought another mobile home park at that point. We did a little marketing class for free, mm-hmm. fired off ringless voicemails, and got a mobile home park off of the deal that we did in class. Yeah. So we bought that one for a hundred thousand. It was a ten unit mobile home park that we felt like we could get to fifteen, mm-hmm. and we still we we got it today. Um, but it and Willis kind of happened at the same time, so we bought two right there together. And they were they weren't expensive parks. We're talking about one hundred thousand dollars and two hundred seventy five thousand or two hundred fifty thousand. So three hundred fifty. We had two more parks. Um, they're both good and bad, you know. Uh, and then we we were like, hey, look, when we went to borrow money against our one in Willis, we ended up with zero dollars in it because we bought it so deep. Mm-hmm. Can we keep this going? Can we evaluate them and do it? Now we we did this, and I mean we've done it all the way up by Amarillo. If you look at Texas, our, our two mobile home parks that are furthest apart are 800 miles apart. Wow. We, you know, as those opportunities came up, you know, we, we took them. So that, that one up by Amarillo was a um, pre-foreclosure lead that a guy sent me. And I thought it I thought it was a way closer town, and I told him I'd go look at it, and I went and looked at it. We ended up liking it because it was city water, city sewer, individually metered. Um, it's our least favorite park today. It's easy to manage. But they're building a vet school there, and so they came in and built a 500-unit apartment complex, which devastated rents. Why? Because the vet school. So the vet school isn't open yet, mm-hmm. but the, the apartment complex for the vet school is there. So the, the population hasn't caught up. So they they put a bunch of inventory on the market um, that, that kind of made it hard to rent. You know, we were anticipating getting $800 a month rent. We're getting seven. Um, overall, I mean, we've got in that park um we've got about 80 percent of what the park's worth yeah most people be like oh man that's great you know because you're gonna go put 20 percent down on whatever you're gonna buy anyways mm-hmm. for us we want to be down around 50 60 percent but the park's so easy to manage you don't really think about it though i mean um josh hanks wants to know about usda you were talking about that earlier usda website so the usda has a foreclosure website 
um, it, it's people found it because whenever I first got on it, stuff had been on there for years, years and years and years. But now, very rarely, do, you know, most of it gets bought at auction now, I mm-hmm. guess, because it got so hot. But everything got bought off the website. But I don't never look in Arizona. Um, basically, the USDA has a um, a program where in rural communities you can get these really good loans to build houses. 100% to, financing. 100% financing, 2% interest rates, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great loan products. But they take a lot of stuff back, which is amazing. But they take a lot of stuff back. Well, they have to because they're 100% financing. This is true, but I mean, man, like there's an apartment complex that came up in Cameron, Texas. And the reason why they took it back was simply because of their own rent controls. They wouldn't let, because they had done that, they couldn't raise rent enough to Mm -hmm. where the deferred maintenance was killing the guy. I mean, we went and looked at it, it was 64 units and had USDA financing on it. We were gonna try to buy it sub two. And um, he's like, look, you, you know, you can buy it. I'll, I'll, you catch up the mortgage, do whatever you want to do. But the USDA is not going to let you raise rent to market rate. So you're going to you're going to be in the same boat I'm in. I can't fix anything out there. I'd love to, but I can't. And so anyways, that was, you know, that was a, a USDA website lead that came up. Now, they it, it went to the auction. It didn't sell. And then it goes on to the USDA website as a listing. So then you can offer on it. I can offer on it. You can, it's on MLS. Mm -hmm. And if they accept your offer, it's not like a bid process, like the HUD home store. I mean, it's just, I make an offer and they decide if they want to accept or not. Yeah. Um, You know, at the beginning, I didn't cherish that website enough because I thought, I mean, I was one of the only people that knew about it. Uh, I was looking at a $7,000 house in Longview and uh, I looked at it for like four months trying to decide if, you know, is $7,000 a good deal for a brick house? (laughs) Says it's a three two. <laughs> we'll circle. And I looked at it. I mean, I, every month it was on there, and I kept thinking the same. It's seven grand. Is that a deal? Now I know exactly what to do with that house. You buy it for seven. You owner finance it for thirty. Yeah, seven grand. You can't lose. Yeah, I mean, you could give it to them for no money down. I mean, you, there's no like, hey, move in, fix it, do whatever you want to do. Uh, Sonia Ray wants to know how you found your private private money. So private money came from um, a bunch of different places. Once we started stacking success. People were just offering us a little bit of money. What could you do with thirty thousand? What could you do with forty thousand? We found out a lot of these people had a lot more money than thirty or forty thousand. As we continued to pay off our loans, refinance, do everything we needed to do, they just kept giving us more money. Um, it came from friends and family. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite honestly. But you know, when people ask that, where did it come from? It came from, you know, twenty years of friendship and bonds, and you know, I mean came from that and then it came from having the skill set to be able to go recognize something but then also communicate what that something is coach Jimbo Fisher for the Texas A&M fighting Aggies I was watching his press conference I'm a fan and he's talking about living in vision or circumstance and I'm like oh my gosh this is mind-blowing stuff because I feel like I live my whole life in vision mm-hmm. where most people just live in circumstance they they don't never see what something is you know what I mean? Or, or what it can be. They only yeah. see what it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I skipped that stage altogether. You know what I mean? Like I'm, and it's not because I'm optimistic. It's just because what happens if, what's my worst case scenario? What, what happens to me if this deal goes south? Do I lose a hundred percent of the money? No. Do, do we all die? Probably not. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. what, what does it mean? If I, if I go in on a deal and I lose money, I can make more money. You know what right. I mean? I can't create that opportunity a second time. I just can't do it. We're buying 57 units right now for $800,000. You know, when when you're looking at that deal, 
you know, he's got his books out. He's wrote them down in pencil. Um, looking at the gross rents, he's carrying, you know, $12,000 a month, which is $200 a door. And you're going, wait a second. When I was out there, he said so-and-so was paying four seventy-five. dollars so So-and-so was paying, you know. And I've got the market rent pegged at around six fifty. dollars but I'm, I'm just looking. I'm going, where's the rest of the money? So we finally just asking him, like, where's the rest of the money? And he's like, oh, if they pay cash, I just stick it in my pocket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's good. You know what I mean? Like, because, because yeah. it, it, you know, but everybody else just they get it on the piece of paper and they're like oh man yeah that's no good mm-hmm. bad deal bad deal i'm like no nah, that's forty-five thousand square foot of real estate on several acres of land for 17 dollars a square foot i'm hearing basically thirteen thousand a door that's it i mean you're better at math than i am because you you did that without a calculator but you where can you build that you can't get that i mean thirteen thousand right. door like you freaking buy it now so so you're in a town that's got ten thousand people in it mm-hmm. okay Texas, I mean, whether it's from immigration, whether it's from people moving from other states, is growing, which means the big urban areas are displacing people into the smaller communities. People are finding it harder to make a living selling whatever it is they want to sell. They could be a welder, they could be whatever, but they can't they can't afford their their shop rent anymore in Fort Worth, you mm-hmm. know, because they're getting pushed out. Amazon moved to Fort Worth. Amazon's bringing a lot of jobs. Mom and pop got to go figure out where to make money. So we're moving out into these rural areas, these rural communities. Well, when you move, move into a rural community, um, there's a dynamic that's happening out there that you cannot build replacement housing. You can if you want to live there, and I can if I want to live there. But an investor can't go in there and build replacement housing. Really? You can't rent it for you can't rent it to get any type of return. Mm, I see. So if if market rents from six to eight hundred is where the average is, you can't go build a stick built house without some sort of supplement, some sort of government grant or something Mm -hmm. to make it make money. So why, tell me, anybody in the whole world, get jump in the comments section and tell me why I'm messing up by investing in a small town. If they're going to tear down five or ten houses every year in that town and you can't build the replacement housing, but people are getting pushed there right and left, how, how, how am I going to lose money in the long run? And then especially if the mentality is if I if I'm moving to a rural community because I'm working for an electric co-op or I'm a welder or whatever and I, and I get a job assignment there, am I going to go out there and buy a house? No. That's right. So what, you know, you're 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 in a renter's market and and the mentality is the same. I'm going to rent until I find something better and then you fall in love with the school district, then you get a local girl pregnant. Now you're there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're you're, so you're done. You, so how did you get from Ten mobile homes or parks, however many you had, to apartments. That's a new development. <laughs> it not that new. We bought our apartments in, in August, but really for us it was just opportunity. You know, vision or circumstance. Mitzi Diane, um, wholesaler down in and and um, this is the one we're having our mastermind in at the end of the month in March. Mm-hmm. Doing a mastermind over our first apartment purchase. She just brings this apartment deal, puts it on the internet, puts it in Roughneck Real Estate the group. Bang, boom. Posted it in the group. Posted it. That's in, how you found it. That's how I found it in my group. <laughs> wow. So, so I tagged the big guy, you know, all the big guys in Dallas were calling me up to buy my lunch. Teach, you know, I was teaching them ringless voicemail and all this, but they mm-hmm. all want to go eat lunch. I'm eating lunch and like, how can we work together? I'm like, dude, I find these things out in these rural communities all the time. I think they're deals, but I need money to do them. You know, do you want a partner? Do you know anybody with money? Do you, want, oh yeah, let's do it. Very first one that comes up. Very first one that comes up. We talked about HEB. Do you know what Whataburger is? Yes. Okay, so H-E-B is the Whataburger of grocery stores in Grosbeck. Okay. I mean, not in Grosbeck, in Texas. So there's a small community 
that for 25 minutes I can be in San Antonio Riverwalk, be standing on the Riverwalk if I leave this community. But it's got a good school district. It's a service community. It's right outside of San Antonio. San Antonio is one of the fastest growing cities in I hear it's blowing up. the United States. So here I am. I'm looking. I get this. I mean, the picture's right there in front of me. And I'm looking at it, and I see the Interstate 35. I see HEB Plus, which you know HEB, you know any big cor- Walmart doesn't just go build something. I think it'll, I think it'll make money. Right. They have a whole team of people mm-hmm. that run it, and then they run it through another team of people, and they run it through another team of people. Hell, by the time that they finally decide to build, the demographics that they decide to build off of might not even be true anymore, which is what I found out in Oilfield Towns. Oilfield Towns, they, they rise up and they need hotels. Mm-hmm. And there's a saying, when, when you start seeing hotels pop up, that means it's about to bust because there's enough data there for people for the hotels to be like, oh, well, finally we can – we can build something. It's like, well, by then there's no more oil left. We're on yeah. to the next town. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so they, HEB's built a deal there, and our apartments have four acres of vacant land right next to HEB. So you see all these shopping centers and stuff that are around Walmart and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I visualize is a shopping center with a Starbucks and everything else next to HEB because it's it, it touches Interstate 35. You I mean you're right there? You can see our land from Interstate 35. And HEB already did all the work for us. It's there. They're 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 placing their bet. I want to place my bet along beside them. Right? right. Yeah. Well, they say one of the best uh, places to invest is that there's a Starbucks in the area. Right. Someone's it, already done their research. That's right. And same way with HEB. So I want to place my bet beside them. Mm-hmm. So I, I see this land, and since you know I'm friends with Dave and them, like you know we always jibber jabber on Dave Hill and the storage guys. I'd think self-storage. So I do the research, and there's three self-storage facilities in town. All of them are full. All of them are full. Like, no more. But no visibility. Can't find them online. Can't see them from the street. They have zero visibility. They're just kind of invisible. One lady's like 98. She's pretty funny. But, you know, so I'm I'm looking at this thing going, yeah, this will work. But I start trying to get all the big guys involved, and they just, nope, 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 nope. All right, I don't know, you know. So then we go meet with these attorneys. Like, and I'm not wearing sweatpants today; it's a little warm outside. But we go to meet with these attorneys, and they're, you know, we we talk them into doing the deal. Like, I we pitch them, I pitch my ass off, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Yeah, we'll do it with y'all. Y'all get twenty percent, bring a hundred thousand. Y'all get twenty percent, and we're gonna take eighty percent." And I'm like, "Yep, let's do it because we can do a bunch of deals with these guys. We they they see our vision. We can mm-hmm. we can go in partnership." But my partners are like, nah, you know, we've got 400000 down. You know, let's just see if we can get our own bank loan on them. So we're kind of going back and forth. Well, Mitzi comes back and she's like, hey, these people need to sell and you got to close by X number of date. And so, I, you know, and I've negotiated a owner finance transaction for 400000 down. And we're like, well, we got, well, you know, we got the down payment, you know, so. It was like, all right, all right, well, you know, so, and I didn't want to do that deal because I didn't want to be broke again. Mm-hmm. No, it took us a long time to get that 400000 and we had it, and we had a lot of projects. We're moving mobile homes, buying mobile homes, you know, we're finishing a lot of mobile home parks, and when we put that 400000 down, all that all that work was going to stop, and so we did it, and, um, you know, it was on a hunch because the only other apartment complex in town was brand new, and it was renting two ones for nine fifty. And ours were renting for five, six hundred a month. Mm-hmm. So if we could raise rent, we could force force that appreciation again. 
make it worth more just by adding income. Right. When you add income, you don't take on any other expenses. Mm-hmm. Your water bill doesn't go up because you're making more money. Right. Your insurance bill doesn't go up because you're making more money. Your taxes, your property taxes can go up, we're finding out, if it's making more money. But long story short, you you force that appreciation. So we did it. We bought it in August. Um, gross rents were 16000 a month. I think right now we're sitting at somewhere 21000 22000 a month. Um, once we get everything up to market rate, it's going to be twenty four, twenty five thousand a month. And I mean, you, you, you know, multifamily, you know, cap rate, you understand NOI. Mm-hmm. None of those expenses changed. We didn't, we didn't go out there and put granted in. Yeah, he doubled the property value. We doubled the property value in that short of a time. Um, and that's, and that's, that's the game. Um, you know, long term, do I want to own that? I feel like we paid too much for it. Mm-hmm. Me personally, because we paid that four hundred thousand dollar assignment. Um, and we want the land. $400,000 assignment. $400,000 assignment. Nice. Yeah. So, and, and she, and, and Mitzi negotiated that deal and took her assignment on a note. So mm-hmm. we've been paying her 10% interest only on yeah. that, on, we, we gave her 125 of it, I think. And then another 70 a month later. Good for something. her though. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, she, we, she's been getting a check from us every month, yeah. um, which is good. I mean, it made us able to do the deal. Um, we're going to sell just the apartments and keep the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to keep the land. We're getting the land and we're getting a um, credit line against the land. You can sell the apartments and keep the land? The the, the four acres that's next to HEB. Oh, I see. Yeah. So we're, we're going to keep that land. Mm-hmm. Um, not bec- It's like we get rid of the apartments. You know, we get all of our money back out of them. Um, we keep the land. It's like a little savings account, but it's also we're going to put a credit line on it. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able, the land should come in at around seven hundred thousand is what it's worth, and we'll be able to borrow up to seventy percent against that. And you know our bank will loan us seventy percent of it. We'll go buy something, and then when we get ready to refinance that, they'll just replenish our credit line, and we'll be able to roll it over. Keep so, doing it again. So that's that's our plan with it. Um, it's pretty interesting. Um, so. I have to ask, roughneck to real estate. What does that mean? <laughs> oh man, it you know roughneck real estate started out as a group where I could talk to Jeremy Miller, a guy that you know followed me on regular Facebook. Uh-huh. I was sitting in front of a pre foreclosure, talking shit on on Facebook Live, speculating that they were going through divorce because they hadn't listed it and there was equity and there was all these things going on. Put a note in their mailbox. Daughter gets off the bus on my Facebook Live, checks the mailbox. I'm giddy. <laughs> look, she's got my note. She's got my note. Walking into this house, and I make the neighborhood looking for other houses for sale. Get off, and all that note said was, "I can stop your foreclosure." My phone number. I didn't never put my name or anything on there. She searched my phone number, took her to my Facebook. Very first thing is my Facebook Live, where she watches her daughter get off the bus and me celebrate. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> at that moment in time, I knew that I couldn't. My sellers were going to find me. Um, through Facebook. And so my Facebook needed to be just plain Jane, you know, no, our, I never really talked politics on there anyways, mm-hmm. but I mean, it needed, it didn't need to be about buying houses and being an entrepreneur and all this. It needed to be funny, entertaining Corey, you know, because when people find you, they want to, they, they don't want to find a business. They want to find a human a person. Right. And yep. so, you know, that, that became that. And then, you know, I came out to a conference out here in, uh, in Phoenix and I was like, you know what, I'll start a Facebook group. So I started my Facebook group and uh, made it closed and it just kind of, it's kind of grown into something. That's why it's closed. I noticed the other day. Yeah, it's, it's a closed group. Um, so the sellers can't find us, but in, you know, 
in and of itself, it's got its own personality. Yeah. You know, I love the people that interact with in there, but you know, we, I started shitting on gurus a long time ago, but it didn't get heavy until those, you know, six, seven, 8,000 people in roughneck real estate. And then all of a sudden gurus started reaching out and being like, what did I ever do to you? And I'm like, I, you ain't done nothing to me. I don't know who you are, but you know what I mean? Like, right. I, like I'm not, if like I'm talking about gurus, like right. I'm talking about no HUD gurus and mm-hmm. you know, fake oh, I gurus. Love that. I love that. I love like, that hashtag. I'm like, I'm like, why are y'all like, why are you taking offense to a, to a hashtag that doesn't, you know, I don't even, if it doesn't apply to you, don't, yeah, don't be offended. Don't, don't be offended. Like, you know, like what, what does that, why does that bother you mm-hmm. if you're not, if that's not what you are? But I, I feel like there's, I, I, I feel like there's, it, it's really tempting. I had somebody offer me a hundred thousand dollars to coach them in real estate. Mm-hmm. And I had to look at that hundred thousand dollars for a long time before I could turn it down. But I, I got to thinking about it and I was like, you know, if I take that hundred thousand, what are their expectations on the other side? Um, I don't do this for money. I could go make money in the oil field. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about this before we got on camera. Yep. It's the security of my daughter that real estate's appealing to me, but then also having a entire group of people like we have an office staff right now maybe they're watching hi if you're watching what's up robin what's up whitley love y'all love diane she's not an office she's only on monday and friday's old part-time but you know they're they're sitting there and you know if i go find a property if we go make some money everybody in that office gets a bonus mm-hmm. you know what i mean if if we don't have that you know their livelihoods are directly affected whitley gets paid bonuses to do leases you know she made like 1300 bucks last week. That's what I made last month. <laughs> it's like, you know, I make, I make a bonus when I sell something, it's a thousand dollars. Other than that, it's $1,300 a month. Now I got American express that I'll eat something later with, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. the, the benefits are there. It's worth it, but it's not about money for me, for me, you know, when, when things you're in real estate and you're looking at that $2,000 a month mortgage, I sell my house, I sell my guns to eat. I move into an RV. Um, and I'm looking at my lifestyle and I'm just reviewing everything. And I got a daughter, single dad, you know, everything that's going on with that. It's like, uh, why am I still here? You know, why am I still in real estate? Why do I want to go this path versus quitting and going on? But it's like, what happens if I quit today on real estate? What happens to my partner, Jacob? I can see his wife. Mm-hmm. What happens to Shane? What happens to our lenders? You know what I mean? So it's, you're kind of pot committed. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Depending on but, you doing well. On, on us doing well, but it's also like this, like, you know, the, the reason why we were in that situation a couple of years ago was because of the margins. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to scale buying a $5,000 house and selling it for 30 and adding that equity on your books. When I can take an apartment complex and force a million dollars worth of value in six months, once I develop that skill set, now, now I'm out of the poor house indefinitely. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it will never approach you again. Once, once you source enough private money, to where right now I think we got somewhere I think we got access to about five million. Mm-hmm. I know it's over three and a half million, but I don't I don't know exactly. I don't ever look at the scoreboard because it doesn't change the score. Yeah. But once you have that, now now we don't rely on a wholesale fee. We're doing a deal right now. We're buying it for. I mean, we're we're gonna make over six hundred thousand dollars on a hotel, mm-hmm. on a hotel, not a hotel, uh, <laughs> not a, not a, not a place you go to stay on vacation, but hotel. a hotel, you yeah. know, but we wouldn't be able to do that without private money. So let's talk about that. What is that deal? It's a land deal. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a land deal. It's a bandit sign lead. Um, guy calls off a bandit sign. We make our offer. He said, we'll take 350 for it. We get a CMA, a conservative CMA of 950,000. 
because we're going to subdivide it into five properties. Mm. So it's a trick we learned, the old Grosbeck house hack. Um, we've known how to do this forever. I did this with my first property, my personal property, my mm -hmm. personal house in 60 acres. If you've seen the video of me burning down a house on the internet before <laughs> I closed on it, that, that property, I subdivided that property. I think I saw you demo something. I didn't see you burn it. Oh, I've, I've demoed a lot, but I actually burned a house down before I closed on it. So they, I bought a house on 60 acres that had a spare house out in the woods. Mm -hmm. I found the house in the spare woods while I was playing with my equipment out there, clearing. I'm like, hey, there's a junky house. And so I took the, just went to the store, got some gas, poured it in there, threw a Motov cocktail in there. A couple of years later, the, Emery's mom was there that day. We weren't dating at that time, but she was there and she had videoed it. Well, I didn't know there was a video. You know, we didn't even hardly talk when she was there. She just ran into me at the gas station. Mm -hmm. What are you about to do? I'm about to burn down a house. That's cool. Can I come watch? I was like, I don't care. Come on. <laughs> so we burned down this house where she, you know, we're sitting there. And she's like, you know, I have that, that video of you burning down that house, right? I'm like, no, let's get it. So we made a marketing video out of it. And it wasn't until that moment in time that I realized burning down a house was arson. I put it on the internet and it got 80,000 views and 90% of them were people telling me that I just committed arson. I was like, yeah, I didn't even own that house. The, when I burned it down, you know, everybody showed up, the fire department, the police, everybody showed up. And they're like, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm buying this. Like you're buying it. And then, then like, you know, they had to call the bank and the bank was like, yeah, Corey's buying it. And, and you know, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you don't care that you just burnt down a house? Well, I mean, I, I mean, there's nothing we can do about it now. The house is burnt down, correct? And they're like, yeah. So anyways, the, the closing went from being like a 30 day traditional close to like a seven day close. And the, the bank sent my buddy down um, to my work, which was right by Mexico, mm -hmm. for me to sign all the paperwork to close on my first <laughs> house. That was 2000, 2012, yeah. way before I got into real estate. But I, but I subdivided that land kind of as a project while I was working in the oil field. I just cleared it all off, built a couple of ponds and, you know, sold some tracks off and did all that. And then we did a, another property on 32 acres um, where we subdivided it and sold it. And anyways, I mean, it's just something that we know we can do because we we understand, you know, buying land is kind of like buying drugs. You buy a kilo of Coke, you pay X amount of dollars, you sell it by the gram, you make mm -hmm. that much more. Um, you know, that's I learned that listening to rap music. I know that the same way with houses or with the same way with land. You know what I mean? Like yeah. land, you uh, you buy it big and you chop it up and sell it small. You're, you're going to triple the value. Uh, so what does your organization look like today to run the kind of operation that you do? Uh, we have four employees, full, four full-time employees. Um, and what are their responsibilities? So Whitley does leasing and evictions, mm -hmm. 100%. Robin pays all the bills. In other words, you know, like right now, she was texting me this morning about a, um, a uh, billboard we're getting. So, you know, we're texting back and forth about that. Um, and she does... Like Robin, Robin does a little bit of everything because that's my business partner's wife. So mm -hmm. she's, I mean, she's got her hand in everything. And um, actually, right now we had an apartment uh, line bust in the attic for water, and just flooded like four apartments. So um, you know, we were dealing with that yesterday morning. It's like, well, how did this happen? You know, heck, I don't know. You know, yeah. it's like we're so we're gonna be fighting with the insurance company, but she's gonna be spearing that, spearheading that fight with the insurance company. Um, and then Diane is bookkeeping. Um, she, like, I don't really know. I mean, I know what Diane does, but I don't know the specifics, mm -hmm. you know, she well, asks me for my receipts all the time. So, like, I, so you don't have like an acquisition or a disposition. We do. We, well, Jason Witherspoon, as far as for the, that other side of the business, mm -hmm. which is, 
Jason has become a business partner of ours. We just started our own company together with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jason does basically a lot of our acquisitions, but you know, it's really like if we get if we produce leads, Jason goes and looks at them. Mm-hmm. He reports back. We, you know, kind of good cop, bad cop on the offer. You know, I'm the asshole. Jason's the nice guy, mm-hmm. and so we go back and forth, get our offer accepted. But it's, I mean, that's how that side of the business makes a lot of money, but it's the tame side of the business. It's not, you know, property. We run an entire property management company. We became property managers because on your own properties, on our own properties, because we realized that was the one thing that if we could solve that problem, we could grow as big as we wanted to grow if we could manage property. Mm-hmm. So we built a property management company. It's been the most painful experience of my life. You're managing other people's properties now. Uh, Jacob's becoming a licensed agent, and he's we're actually going to offer that because it's like this: if Steve wants to do business in Texas, but he doesn't want to do property management, we're not going to do turnkey anything. Mm-hmm. You're going to come look at it. You're going to make your evaluation, decide what you want to do. But if you want to invest in Texas on a lead that we find, then then we'll manage the property for you. It's it's not that hard. You know what I mean? Now, what? It's not that hard now. Now that you've got your people in there, uh, it's it, remote managing has its own issues. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult because contractors are, you know, I mean, we went through three, we wouldn't on Canyon, Canyon wouldn't have been as painful if three contractors hadn't stole from us. You know what I mean? But that, how are you going to know that they're going to steal from you, you know, in the fourth month of their job? Like, it's like, you know, one of them sent me a $1,200 bill for mowing the grass. Like, dude, uh, we didn't even ask you to mow one, two. $1,200, $1,200, I would come up there and buy every tenant a lawnmower before I paid $1,200. Mm-hmm. That $1,200 um, on an appraisal just shows a big red flag. You know what I mean? Now, wait, you are paying $200, then you're paying $1,200. We think you're hiding something in expenses. That mm-hmm. $1,200 could could take $144,000 of value off of the property, you know, essentially. So I was like, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I just told him, I said, look, you'll get paid for that one. Yeah, I'm not going to argue over, I'm just not going to waste a bunch of time arguing about that. But you'll never work for us again, mm-hmm. and so we we just parted ways with him. Um, but you know that was the that guy was actually his problem was that he would he would he would just go out there. He was like, I put two roofs on this week. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, who asked for roofs? We didn't. We didn't, nobody. We didn't even know that. He's like, well, you know, they just they were going to go bad eventually. Anyways, we're like, no, that's wow, not, that's not how this works. Awfully presumptuous. Uh, so one cool thing when I was trying to, you know, cre- come up with the, um, uh, th- thumbnail, right. To, to promote, you know, I went through all your photos and every single one's got Emery in there. Yeah. She's here today. Yeah. She, so talk about like, you know, your, your motivation. Cause we, we, we touched on it earlier, but what is your why? Um, you know, putting, putting Emery as my why is unfair to Emery. Um, it puts it puts undue expectations mm-hmm. on her. Um, you know, my my why is way bigger, way way bigger mm-hmm. um, than Emery. Emery is so, like Emery. Emery made me want to be a better person, right? Mm-hmm. So she just um, ultimately made me want to. Uh, I don't know, just just live differently. You know, yeah. um, not really a not really a. Uh, I can't really put it into words like what Emory actually means from, um, you know, I mean, anybody that has kids kind of knows what that is, but we've been through a lot and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, she, she just means a lot to me. Um, but our why is bigger than that. Our why is, you know, Jacob's mom, 
are wise. Um, Shane's parents, um, you know, you just look, you watch the people that work their whole life, and uh, I mean, they did a great job of saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they you're did what they were supposed to do. They did what they were supposed to do, and now we are able to go out and and uh, and be a force in the marketplace and provide them actual passive income mm-hmm. to where they get to take my daughter because they they honey and poppy. I don't know if they're watching, but, you know, they're a big part of Emory's life. And, uh, you know, Honey took Emory on a Disney cruise for um, for uh, her last birthday. But we paid Honey a lot of interest last year mm-hmm. on loans, you know what I mean? And she's a big supporter of us and just helps us do a lot of stuff. So our wise, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, if this was about money, there's a lot of other things I could do for mm-hmm. easier money. Um, it's not about money like it's and it's not about legacy like I don't care what you know I was watching the movie Troy the other day and you know Achilles is worried about his legacy and uh, you know I, I'm not worried about that like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not concerned with legacy I'm not concerned with trinkets I'm not concerned with any of that stuff what matters to me is that core group of people that whenever I was laid off from work gave me an opportunity to work mm-hmm. that's all they did was give me an opportunity to work and we we took it into something else we took it to another level but that goes back into the cream rising to the top and work ethic and everything out but also never quitting because it would have been easy to quit i don't know about easy to quit but it would have been there's a lot of time quitting would have been the the most obvious decision to most people and i was doubling down it's Mm -hmm. like you know we're gonna go harder but emory's a big part of it but um it, it goes a lot further a lot further and a lot deeper than that. Um, all of my business partners, even the ones that came on for the first mobile home park, and we got a very clear vision about what our expectations are and what we want. And money is money's on there. I mean, it's obviously a driving factor, but it's 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 about providing those opportunities because our, I mean, ultimately our parents are the ones that believed in us and you know invested in us and gave right. us this opportunity. So, you know, it's it's more about you know convincing them. Not really convincing them, but like, hey, look, you did great. Now stop working and go hunting, right, go let fishing. Us take care of you. Yeah, go, go. You know, we can do it. We got it from here. Yeah. But and they're and they're slowly realizing that. So that's awesome. That's powerful. Um, is there any last message you want to leave everybody with? I I don't. You know, I don't really know. I I, I you know, vision or circumstance is a big part of my life. But there's a there's a I don't know. I mean, you just heard my whole story. I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was doing until I was 90% through with most of the deals that we'd done. Um, I, my big message is don't let people put you in their box. Mm-hmm. I put people in my box all the time. You know, they ask me, and I'm like, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. Right. You know, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't let people put you in their box. Like, you know, if you're out there right now and you want to go find a deal, you got a Driving for Dollars app that's $35 a month. That's an easy decision to make. Make your phone calls. Fail. You're going to get hung up on. You're going to get cussed at. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. Keep doing it. Stay consistent because that's the only thing that got us here was consistency. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and, and when you get that deal, somebody actually wants to sell, don't let everybody in the world tell you that's not a deal. Let the market tell you that. Mm-hmm. Put it under contract. Introduce it to the marketplace and take the feedback that you get from that and go back with the investor you trust the most to the seller and see if you can get a deal negotiated yep. with an experienced guy. Everybody always wants me to teach them something. I'm like, great. Where's your deal? 
Oh, I don't have one. Well, go find one. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know where. Get the Driving for Dollars album. Right. <laughs> I just gave you it. Yeah. Like, go, go get it. The winner go. The hustler wins. Get mm-hmm. in the neighborhoods. Find the shitty house. Skip trace the owner. At least come to me with an address. Right. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But don't absolutely co- don't come to me and say I want I want to learn from you, and have like not a deal, nothing. You know what I mean. We're we're talking about this right now on a podcast. We talk about it every day in Roughneck Real Estate. We talk about it on Propelio every day. We talk about it all over the place. You know what I mean? You can find a deal. You're just not looking. Mm-hmm. Take a different route to work. If you want it, you'll find it. If you want it, you'll find it. And then once you find the deal, everything else comes easy. Like, you know, I didn't believe that earlier, but, you know, it was the easiest money we ever found was the 800000 for the purchase we're making at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. It was literally a text message. And and the crazy thing was it, it was the first person I should have text message, but he was the last person I text messaged. What it, do you mean? Like, I should have asked Jeff for the money first. Mm-hmm. But I went everywhere else and tried to find it first. Mm-hmm. And then I was sitting there one day and I was like, you know, I don't know, Jeff texted me the other day, said he had some money to deploy. I wonder how much. Hey, do you have 800000 Yeah, I'd probably raise it. That was it. That was the response. And then, <laughs> you know, next time I see him, I'm like, hey, yeah, we doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got that. Yeah. Like, and, and it was that simple. But, you know, at that same time, like, I remember what it was like trying to find 15000 and mm-hmm. try to, you know, like, I mean, I spent – I, I bought a deal. I had to borrow $1,100 from my mom to close on it, and I was completely flat broke. And I bought that deal and, you know, almost cried in my bed because I'd left my family in such a situation, spent all of our money on houses, mm-hmm. and that was it. And, you know, that was when I made the decision to sell my house. That was when I made the decision to get out of that prison that was that mortgage payment, which landed me in an RV, but doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To me, like, that sacrifice – has spurred the growth and and it, and it set expectations for me where now I'm not looking, you know, before I would have, I mean, it's like I had to have this house. It was a mental block, mm-hmm. such a mental hurdle. Um, I had to have it. It was where Emory brought Emory home from the doctor, hospital, everything, you know, it's just such a mental hurdle. But once I released it, it was like, well, now i got a lot of things I can focus on. I'm not trying to make this house payment anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. All so, right. Uh, so I think that's probably a pretty good spot to end it. So guys, um, if you need help at all getting ARVs, closing your deals in the Phoenix market, definitely reach out to me. Uh, if you want a copy of our script or assignment contract, opt in at realestatedisruptors.com. And Corey is speaking tomorrow night at Dave & Buster's. We're starting at 4.30, food's included, drinks included. So Dave & Buster's Tempe at 4.30, and then Corey will be speaking at 5. Bring your questions because uh, I think we're all going to have a good time tomorrow. Man, I, I, like, I love the live scene. I yeah. just love it. I don't, I'm a little bit different there. <laughs> um, and again, guys, sign up for We Live. I want, I want to get this as big as we can for Max. And if you like the show, please share this episode right now because a rising tide does lift all boats. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Roughneck Real Estate, the Facebook group. Awesome. That's, I mean, it's the, and we're giving away tickets to We Live. That's right. So, so I mean, get in there now, guys. Yeah, get in there and get instructions get, are in there. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, I, that's going to be a good event. Yeah. That, I mean, um, I love Max. Like, you know, people ask me about him forever. When I finally looked into him, I was like, man, I like this guy. I like yeah. this guy a lot. So Yeah, he's a real genuine dude. So, yeah, I like him. Uh, Steve, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you guys for watching, and thank you. That no was problem. Yes, sir. Awesome. Thank you.